0: The scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 39, found on page 856 of the Black Pew Bible. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles for the reading of God's Word. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we make reference to the scripture uh, during the course of the sermon. The Spirit of God breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture. Let us ask the Spirit now to breathe upon us afresh that we might have ears to hear, minds to understand, and souls to respond in true faith. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have not left us to ourselves to perish in our sins, but you have sent to us the great Savior. Jesus Christ, in his name we ask that you would now visit us in the power of the Holy Spirit that your word might speak forth and that by it our minds would be renewed and our lives built up in faith to serve you in joy through Christ our Savior, amen. Uh, this the context of the setting of the, the scripture reading this morning has to do with Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth's home, where she is uh, greeted, and Mary, in this passage, sings forth, as it were, the song of her song of praise, what is known as the Magnificat, uh, because of the first verse, "My soul magnifies the Lord." So let us now hear the word of God. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that is, who would who would be born and would be named John, John the Baptist, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped In her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, over the last couple of weeks in the season of Advent, we've been focusing on the fact that as we look forward to the annual celebration of Christmas, as we look forward to the remembrance of Jesus' birth, we are, as as it were, looking back down the road. We're looking down the road 2,000 years to Bethlehem. But when we look back down the road of history to Bethlehem, if we have a full view of the Christian faith, we realize that we, we need to turn around and then look up the road, up the road to the future, to the future of Christ's final advent, when he shall come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead, to bring the full consummation of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. So with the eyes of faith, we look back to Bethlehem. We see what God has done in history. With the eyes of faith, we look forward to that unknown consummation of history, the unknown time when Christ will come again and bring history to its close. Now, in this passage from Luke chapter 1, Mary is an example to us of what it means to see with the eyes of faith. Mary herself is an example to us as someone who lives in between the appearances. Mary is an example of one who sees that which the unbelieving world cannot see. She sees in faith what God has done. She sees in faith what God will do. And this illustrates for us what the Apostle Paul said when he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. When Paul said that, He didn't mean that we're walking around in the dark, just sort of guessing and groping our way. No. What Paul meant when he said we walk by faith, not by sight, is that we walk by faith in the things that God has revealed, which we do not yet see perfectly, completely fulfilled. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. A little more about that in a moment. The letter to the Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance, that's a strong word, of things hoped for. That which is hoped for is a sure thing. Right? Just think of it that way. The assurance of things hoped for. That which is hoped for is a sure thing. It's assured to us. The conviction... The knowledge of the reality, the conviction of things not seen, not yet seen. And it's from this biblical perspective that we need to understand Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise, or really what we might call her victory song. Now, verses 47 through 55 a like a psalm. And what Mary is doing is she's really singing or reciting what we might call today a scripture psalm. She's reaching back into the Old Testament scriptures. And she's quoting scripture after scripture after scripture. And she's applying it to what's going on in her life personally. And she's applying it to what she sees is going to take place in the world. Much of it at the very beginning is based on Hannah's psalm, which we could read about from uh, 1 Samuel when Hannah brought her son Samuel to the priest Eli and and, and offered her son Samuel into the service of the Lord. Mary's psalm here sounds very much like that. And it's, it's important also for us to note that we read the, uh, the, the context. Mary has gone to visit her cousin, some, uh, some uh, relation, Elizabeth, who herself was pregnant with a child whom we would come to know as John the Baptist. And when the child in the womb heard Mary's voice, the child in the womb leaped with joy. Now, this is a supernatural confirmation that that the Savior of the world in the womb of Mary had come into that very room. And, and yes, this is a supernatural confirmation. John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth sensed the presence of Jesus the Savior in the womb of Mary and leapt with joy. And then Elizabeth exclaims with joy, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So there's lots going on in this passage revealing Jesus, even in his mother's womb, as the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah of Israel. And so Mary cries out, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. So here Mary is expressing praise to God. Praise and wonder that she, a poor and humble and helpless sinner, would be so favored by God as to be the one chosen to carry and to give birth to the Savior of the world. And I think it's appropriate that we note from this very passage that Mary was chosen by God for a particular role, a unique role, a unique purpose in all of history, and is thus regarded to be the most blessed of all women, not to be worshipped, not to be elevated to the status of a mediator, not to be elevated to the status of a of, 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 a, of a, a divine personage. No, but yes, to be regarded with appropriate honor and respect as the one on whom God's favor rested for the special purpose of being the mother of the Messiah. And as she realized that God was working in her and through her, she realized this great thing that was going on in her life was not simply for herself but for the sake of all God's people. I mean she she was she was right at the, the the hinge of history as it were. That all of God's promises in the past were about to be fulfilled, all of God's promises for the future were about to be fulfilled through and in this child whom she was carrying. And let's begin to look at how Mary sets forth this praise to the Lord, and, and it's important for us to note here. And if you, if you do have your Bible open, I'm going to begin at verse 51. And we, we, Mary was a humble, probably relatively poor. Some might call her peasant girl, a, a, a young lady probably in her teens. We. We think of of gentle Mary. But if you will pay attention to this passage, you will see that, that Mary's song, Mary's psalm of praise is full of fire. It is full of passion. And it speaks in very vivid terms of the coming of God's kingdom, which brings a confrontation in this world. This is a, you could say that this is a battle song or a victory song after battle. So don't, don't be misled or don't misunderstand. This is a fiery, passionate affirmation of what God is doing in and through the birth of the Messiah. All right. Mary, in verse 51, is looking forward into the future. She begins to speak in a remarkable way. Again, singing a scripture song based on the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 89, verse 10 says, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And she speaks in this passage of God scattering the proud, scattering the enemies. And, and she's making reference to She's looking back to the exodus, but she's also looking forward to what God will do. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the heap. That's Psalm 113, which was a psalm sung during the Passover, again celebrating the exodus. Psalm 147, 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. So you see, in this, in this song of praise, Mary is affirming God's faithfulness and his power in the history of his people. But as she's looking back down the road of history, she's also looking forward. With the eyes of faith, Mary sees that the Holy One, the Holy Child in her womb, will be the one in whom and through whom all the promises of God will finally perfectly, eternally be fulfilled. Mary is singing here about the coming of the kingdom of God. Mary is singing here about the final advent of Jesus Christ. She says, He, the Lord, has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see at this point Mary is not singing about the exodus or about other things in Old Testament history. She is speaking when she she says, He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. It sounds as though she's singing about events in the past, but she's not. By faith, she's singing about something in the future. She's singing about a new exodus, a new deliverance a new victory, the final victory, the final victory when God will finally, once and for all, right that which is wrong in this world, eradicate evil from the creation, and and as it were, turn the world from being upside down as, as it is now, with man ruling, man's kingdom ruling the world, God is going to turn the world right side up. We live in an upside down world. That's what's wrong. With man, presumptively, on the throne. Okay? You Wonder why it was such a crazy world? Because it's upside down. And she's singing about that day, which is sure to come, when God is going to turn the world right side up and he will reign. She sees the victory of the Messiah, the glory of his kingdom, as an accomplished fact. In this regard, she's speaking as a prophetess. This is the way in which the prophets of the Old Testament spoke. They often spoke in the present tense or even in the past tense when speaking of future things. Why? Because the things hoped for were a sure thing. A fixed reality in the eternal purpose of God. And so with the holy conception of Jesus in her womb, Mary understands, Mary believes that the creator of heaven and earth had set into motion, had begun to bring into reality the coming of his kingdom, which no power on earth could withstand. She looked into the future and she saw the kingdom of Christ as a present reality, an accomplished fact. She saw by faith that the ungodly powers of this world in all their pomp, in all their pride, in all their hatred of God and rebellion against God would be overturned and overthrown. She saw by faith the destruction of the enemies of God. She saw by faith the peace and prosperity of God's kingdom being enjoyed by God's people redeemed in Christ. She saw by faith the last judgment, the fullness of God's kingdom on earth. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. That's the vision of Christ's coming in power and glory. Now, how does this apply to us today? The New Testament, numerous other passages, speaks in very much the same way. For example, The Apostle Paul wrote, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, the Apostle had not lost his physical life, but in union with Christ through faith, Paul considered himself to be a man who had already died. And a man who had already been raised to newness of life by the power of Christ's life within him. And what he wrote for himself, he wrote for us all in Christ. For all who believe. Just as he wrote to the Colossians. If you then have been raised with Christ. Have been raised. Past perfect. Perfect past, whatever it is an accomplished fact, something in the future that has already taken place. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him in glory. Now, I know that this is maybe twisting our brains around a little bit, but this is the biblical perspective. This is the perspective of the New Testament that that which is promised to us in the future is to be received in faith and embraced as a present reality in our lives today. We ought not to think of ourselves as sort of waiting around until we die to go to heaven. Jesus Christ calls us to live as the people of heaven here and now on earth. That's the whole point of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the coming down of heaven into our lives. That's the partial coming of the kingdom
1: in our lives.
0: And then we shine with the light of Christ in a dark world. And we show forth to a lost world what life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ really is. We don't do that perfectly. We fail too often. But do you hear the call? That's that's the call that comes to us. You're the people who have already died and been raised with Christ, seated with Him together in the heavenly places. You know, we all hear stories about people who who may have near-death experiences or come back from the dead and I don't know how you evaluate all that, and that's not the point. The point, you know what the real point is? The real point, the real point is that if we are in union with Jesus Christ through faith, and if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then we have come back from the dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You see, we're the ones who have died and come back, so to speak. So to speak, from the biblical perspective, because the things hoped for are a, come on, sure thing. All right, now you know. The things hoped for are a sure thing. That's the reason that Mary can sing in the past tense about the great things that God has done because they're a fixed reality. Now, how did that play out in Mary's life? For the rest of her years, Mary lived what would appear to be what would appear to be an ordinary life in an ordinary world, except for the fact that she suffered extraordinary sorrow. Extraordinary sorrow. What do you think Mother Mary thought or felt when she saw her son Flogged, flayed, beaten, bruised, battered, nailed to a cross. We live by faith, not by sight. You see that? On the cross, he didn't look like the Savior of the world. In fact, he looked. He looked like the failure of the world. That's what it looked like. But blessed is she, as Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That applies to us as well. Blessed are we when we believe what God has promised. Blessed are we when we set our hope on the sure and certain promise of Christ's final advent, the revelation of the fullness of His kingdom, that there is a day when all wrongs will be set right, that there is a day when everything sad will come untrue, that there is a day when those who have loved the Lord Jesus and longed for His appearing will be vindicated and saved. So, again, for us today, Our lives must not be determined and defined by the ways of this world and the standards of this world. What I mean by that is this. Look, as we live in in this world, in between Jesus' first advent in Bethlehem and his future advent, we must not fear evil. We must not despair and lose heart. We must not become what the world would make of us. Slaves of selfishness, greed, lust, pride, malice. We must not become practical atheists. Really functioning in this world as though this world is all there is. That's practical atheism. Beware of it. Beware. So it means that we we, we may, we must follow Christ and seek to serve Him and obey Him in the assurance that our faith is not in vain. And we don't worship a sentimental Savior. We worship the King of glory. And because we know and believe that He will come again to judge the living and the dead, we ourselves must examine our own hearts. There is a great divide. There is a great confrontation that is shown forth in this passage. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Where are we with that? Are we humble before the Lord? Do we hunger for His mercy and His grace? Or are we prideful, fat and happy with ourselves, rich in our own estimation, continuing in our rebellion against God? May it never be. May it never be. Let us, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, Humble ourselves before the Lord. Hunger for His kingdom. Look for His grace and mercy. And live our lives on earth as the citizens of His kingdom. He has won the victory. He will reveal the victory. He calls us to rejoice in the victory. To rejoice as Mary rejoiced. To see by faith what is yet unseen but will be revealed on that day when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do give You thanks for the truth of Your Word which is a comfort and an encouragement to us. And we pray, O Lord, that Your Spirit would apply this Word to our hearts so that in the midst of darkness we would shine with the light of Christ and show forth the love and the righteousness and the power of His kingdom. O Lord, grant us this grace of faith and enable us day by day to live for Your glory. Through Christ our Savior. Amen.